Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and it is an honor for me to welcome you to Research Week. What is Research Week? Research Week is when we get people who are way smarter than me uh, bringing really insightful conversations regarding practical and tactical research-driven insights, the most important issues of theory and practice in our field today. Uh, Enjoy this conversation. It's an honor to have them. We are excited to welcome you to Research Week. Hey, everybody. I'm Kim Yaris, and I am here today with my friends and colleagues, Dr. Eve Miller and Dr. Jen Chevalier. And we are super excited to get started with this season, 2023-2024 season of research conversation. Just like all of you, we are trying to keep our finger on the pulse of the things that matter most in education. And today we want to talk about one that has been coming up everywhere we look, academic achievement. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So all of the reports that are out there seem to be delivering really bad news to us, right? Um, Since the pandemic, it's we're looking at our results in reading, we're looking at our results in math, and there seems to be this downward trend. And we are all asking the same question, why? What is going on? So let's get this conversation started. I'm going to kind of bounce it over to Jen and ask you, Jen, what have you been hearing or what have you been reading or what have you been thinking about, about what the struggle is about? You know, what's, what do you think it's all about? I think there are a lot of um, facets to this issue, honestly, and I hear things from the field about um, like the well-being of students, their ability to focus, um, whether they care or not. Um, Eve, what are you hearing? Do you have anything to add to that? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think there's misinformation out there about the scale of it, about parents as well. Like we hear that, what is it, uh, 10 to 15 percent of parents, like they think that their students are fully recovered while educators are going, nope, not at all. And so like, I think there's a lot of finger pointing and some people don't even know there's fingers to be pointed. And that makes the teachers feel not very supported because the parents aren't really clear on what's going on. So yeah, lots of things going on. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that it's kind of pervasive and very unclear. And a lot of the things that I've been hearing have to do with the pandemic, you know, pandemic, 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 pandemic. And, you know, and it's made me really kind of wonder about how much of an impact the pandemic had, because my memory says that there a lot of the things that are issues now were issues pre-pandemic, and it feels like it's been exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, Eve, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, I think that's interesting because I do think, like like we said at the start, there's no question that there's been these impacts, these shocks to the system because of the pandemic. Like this learning loss is certainly greater because of the pandemic. Um, uh, actually, there's this report that came out in May of this year um, by this incredible group of like Stanford, Dartmouth, Harvard, all these incredible researchers who looked at 7,800 different districts, y'all. And what they found, they were really asking the question that we're bringing up here of like, what really was the impact? How have we grown since? Like what's working? 
they looked at it with all of this data from these 7,800 districts. And what was really interesting, I thought, okay, we know a lot about the impacts. They were profound. That was a lot of it. But what I was finding really interesting about the report is what they were finding with the recovery. And they found that the districts that struggle to recover from shocks prior to the pandemic, that can be flu, that can be a like a big turnover in teachers, that can be all of these different shocks to the system. Those that didn't have the foundation that there was stagnant growth after shocks happened, they're still struggling. And that's the majority of districts, like there's a stagnant growth. So I do think that there's this part of it that has to do with COVID certainly, but there's all these elements that speak to, there's still this kind of, we're turning back to some of the things that we did before. And it's just kind of plateauing growth in a lot of ways that really matter. Um, so I'm finding it really interesting um, as far as some of these ways that we just continue to persistently think about education and learning for students. I wrestle with this too, Eve. I mean, let me just start by saying I believe like nearly everybody I've ever encountered in the field of education genuinely wants what's best for yeah. students, what's best for teachers, the best mm -hmm. intentions through and through. But because there is this misinformation and mandates that are created at the federal level, the state level, the district levels, you know, we don't necessarily have the time or the capacity to make the connections between what we know about what works in learning and how we expect the students to learn in classrooms. And again, with the best intentions, when you only have so much time, I can picture myself back in the classroom, you know, just pushing through a unit because the test had to be, you know, at a certain point in order to stay on track for the standards for the year and skipping over the best practices that I knew for the sake of time. And so as I think about this, I think about the missed opportunities that I can point to in my own instructional career with like really instilling those academic skills or those learning skills like time management or collaboration or responsibility and helping students develop those um, just because I felt such pressure to get the standards covered and taught in time. I just need to jump in and say, I felt the exact same thing as a classroom teacher. Like there was always like this disconnect, the curriculum, the curriculum, the curriculum, I got to teach them, I got to teach them. But I also knew that there were these other things that they needed to learn. Um, like, uh, like you said, time management, planning, organization. You know, I felt like I had some kids that were just walking around with papers falling out of their binders and they could never find anything. And we were spending half of our time looking for whatever it was, notebook, pencil, paper, whatever it was that we needed. And, you know, I knew that this stuff was eating away at class time, but it was almost like it was first and foremost on my mind, like I've got the curriculum is everything. Um, and these results are everything. And I understand what you're saying when you talk about that, these, you know, these almost, I guess they're a lot of people talk about them as soft skills. Um, I think about them as future readiness skills. It's the thing that employers talk about 
um, new hires. It's the thing that they're looking for and need and oftentimes feel like are missing from the new hires that they are getting in the field. When you said those words, academic skills, Jennifer, and you followed up with talking about his workforce readiness skills, and we talk about this, right? This is why the three of us, we were like, there's there's things to talk about here. But what's really jumping out to me in like the context that you set up came around the pandemic and um, these ideas of, you know, we're, we keep doing the same thing we've been doing um, and it's this is where we are at, it's, it's like we know what underlies learning, what underlies academic skills, what underlies what we want most for our students, that workforce readiness. I was not a K-12 educator. My background is in cognitive neuroscience. And what I hear is executive functioning in all of this. So I, what I hear is underneath the ability to learn, the ability to be a, a person who functions in society are the same skills. But if I'm hearing you correctly, oftentimes we have to deprioritize what is taught in the classroom that minimizes our ability to help students build those. And these are very buildable skills and they're for everyone to build. Um, but we sacrifice that that ability to teach a person in the way that they actually learn and we actually go into the world and are successful for the curriculum and those standards, if I'm hearing that correctly. It's that like it's almost like we we give up what matters most in service of what we think like we need to get to, but we're actually missing what we know we need to do to get them there. I don't know. I'm like yeah. I'm together is quite profound. Yeah. So, so what, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's the um, underlying future success and academic success is this like, almost like I'm seeing it in my head as a bridge and it's called executive function. So for example, there are those three biggies, those three big executive functions, right? One is the first one is cognitive flexibility, which is one's ability to be able to problem solve. Um, the second one is working memory. It's being able to take new information and process it and being able to remember it and recall it when you need it. And then there's inhibitory control, basically your ability to focus and remain focused. So we see yeah. those are skills that like chase us throughout our entire lives, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. And so like in the classroom, I'm, you know, maybe I'm teaching literacy and I'm saying, oh, my gosh, I've got to get through this. You know, um, I've got to teach kids how to be able to decode words. And so in my head, it's I've got to teach these skills and I've got to teach these strategies. But meanwhile, I mean, what's something that's both uh, a reading strategy and something that addresses executive function, and that would be cognitive flexibility, right? Right. It's problem solving. How are you going to solve this problem? You know. And so, if we think about it not just as a reading skill or a math skill, um, but rather an executive functioning skill, you know, we're kind of like it's like a broader sweep of important skills that kids need in order to be academically successful, but also 
successful in their futures. Yeah. When you talked about inhibitory control, like I totally, I still struggle with this as an adult. When I am working on something that's super hard, my tendency is to avoid it. So like I would have been the kid in the classroom that went and sharpened my pencil, sat back down and looked at the algebra problem and then decided I was really thirsty and went and got a drink of water. Um, so I totally see those connections in um, academics, but also in life, right? When I've got something hard going on at home, sometimes I still like, I want to get in the car and take a ride to kind of get away from it for a little bit. So I can see how it spans both academics and life. If I may, I, I hear that example and I, it makes me think about like the importance of understanding executive functioning for developing students' abilities, but also like as an educator, understanding some of the behaviors of students and what they need. I just, for that example that you gave of inhibitory control, what I hear in that is a, a kid doing their best or an adult doing their best to self-regulate, right? Like you were aware at some level of the amount of attention you had to give at that moment. And you needed to have little moments, little distractions to help you regulate your attention. And so like, I think that there's both there's both here, like in understanding learning and also in understanding behaviors. So it's fascinating. Yeah. So um, what I feel like I'm taking away from this conversation today is that though our instinct when there is a problem with academics is to look directly in the eye of academics and say, what can we do better to teach math or what can we do better to teach literacy? Um, what I hear us saying is that underlying all of these things, there is this common denominator of executive functions. And it's by paying attention to that, we might be almost like unlocking something huge that can address the issue almost kind of like in a backdoor sort of a way. You know, we've been kind of looking head on when instead we could go around the back door and, uh, you know, get the same results or maybe even better results um, in a longer lasting kind of fashion or something. So, Okay, so I'm sitting here as a non-educator um, and I'm going, I wonder, you know, we've been having discussions around this, but I wonder if y'all could help us like, you know, kind of tie this to like, what is the connection that you see between executive functioning and workforce readiness? Like you talked about those big three, like what are some ways that you would connect that together so that someone who's just learning about executive functioning and like going, okay, what is this exactly? They could connect to things that they see in the classroom or things like that. Well, I would go right back to that planning and organization, right? So knowing where your pens and pencils are and what tools you're gonna need in order to be able to do the task that you need to, to do. That's something that we see all the time in the classroom, but it's also something, you know, you can't show up to your job unprepared with whatever it is that you're gonna need to do your job well. Um, it's that advanced planning. That would be an example that comes to my mind real quick. And for me, like working memory still as an adult is an issue. Like don't ever be on my trivia team. I am useless <laughs> in that space. I cannot remember little tidbits of information like that. 
but you tell me to write a five-page essay about the impact of an event on society and how it shaped things over the world, like I can hit that out of the park. So what was really helpful to me with the working memory, which is one of the executive functions, is learning strategies that work specifically for me. Like I was not the studier at the last minute and the information would stick long enough to pass the test or you give me a set of flashcards and like that does nothing for me. But if I could put something to music, like I could pretty much remember the lyrics to every song I've ever heard since like the, I'm going to date myself here, but early eighties, all the way up through, like I can remember words to music so well. And so at some point in my high school career, when I was kind of not doing very well on my multiple choice tests um, in social studies, I started putting some of that information to music as lyrics. And that's when I became successful in that space because that's what worked for my brain specifically. And I think as educators, we can really help students figure out the specific strategies that work for their unique learning styles. And I think that's a really empowering message and skill to share with them that they can use throughout their lives. What I'm hearing in a lot of this is, you know, the pandemic, the setback, the shock to the system, it's given us an opportunity because the challenge that is in front of so many educators around like closing some of those gaps to be able to step back and say, how do I help serve my students and maybe rethink some aspects of education and how they've approached it. And to what you're saying about the heart of the educator, the passion of the educators, and we know so many of them, um, we know this about them, that they want to do right by their students and they are in education to make an impact. And so to step back and question some of these things and go, is there a different way? And I believe that is a passion that a lot of, that all three of us share. And it is that idea that we can take what we're learning in science and best practice, and we can bring that into the classroom and say, you're right, there, there are better ways, and it doesn't have to change everything you do to be able to bring out the wisdom within that student. Who, as you said, like it's that, that idea of learning about yourself and executive functions is the way that we want to kind of one of the frames that we're going to use in this season to talk about how we can question these kind of outcomes for students. And we'll get into that more in the next episode, but I just, I'm so excited about it because there's so much to talk about that it's hard to keep it just to like a short conversation today, but there's so much importance here in reframing, rethinking and reconnecting to the passion that drives educators and those who help lead educators. Yeah, I'm super excited to unpack this throughout the season this year on the Research Conversations podcast. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today, um, but we'd like to thank you for joining us for our first episode um, for this year. And we hope that you'll join us again in two weeks when we go into episode two and we discuss how to include executive functions in our instructional environments. We look forward to seeing you then. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.